Okay, I'm having a hard time believing that we are a week and a half, 10 days away from Christmas. Can can you believe this year is just flying by? This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. So let me ask this question as I, I begin today's program. How many of you are trying to find normalcy again this year, maybe even more than last year in your family, in your life, in your home these past 20 some odd months, 21 months now have been a roller coaster for for most of us let's go back go back literally two years ago, 2019 there was some distant virus or something but it was in China and here in the United States life went on It wasn't yet a big news story. Yet it became one literally in a couple of months' time. But I can remember Christmas two years ago just like it was yesterday. And it seems like it was yesterday. I had shared on the weekend program that Christmas 2019, my wife and I decided to spend that Christmas in our little place up in the mountains in Georgia. And it was probably the last normal Christmas I can remember and the last normal time that most of us can recall. It was almost like I was being prepared for the time about to come. And I've shared the story many times of coming out of retirement in early 2020 when this word pandemic came into our vocabulary and how we struggled and hoped that maybe maybe by Easter of 2020 things might get a little bit better maybe by the summer this will be over this this terrible virus this terrible whatever we're going to get past it but here we are two years later and Fauci the fear monger is still out there trying to be the Grinch that stole Christmas again And we know so much more today than we knew two years ago in 2019. As I said, I can remember my wife and I preparing for this very quiet Christmas two years ago. And then last year we did the same thing. We we stayed in Georgia for Christmas 2020. But this year we are back in Florida with family and trying to, to move forward. We're learning this concept of, of to fear not. And I want to talk about that a lot on the program, to fear not. I want to thank Jim Calhoun. Yesterday, he talked about fearing not. And I want to share some things on the program today about how fear is a liar. You know, the devil, Satan, will use fear against you. Your fear of losing your job. And I know it's a real fear. I've been there. We all have faced things that are scary in this life. But for many of us, and and there are times even myself included, to learn to fully yield unto him. Learning to lean was a song I can remember from many, many years ago. Learning to lean. Learning to lean on Jesus. Instead of trying to do it all on our own. I mentioned 
the other day that St. Paul writes that if God be for us, who can be against us? Yet so many of us you know, listen to the siren sounds of, of this world and all the fear from the television. And we spend more time watching the TV than we ever spend in God's Word. We spend more time, more time worrying about a virus than praying for deliverance from God. And that's because as this song, I'm going to use some music today, and I've got a couple of special things on the program. I just want to remind you, and this song says it so well, fear is a liar. He told you you're not good enough when he told you you're not right when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight when he told you you're not worthy When he told you you're not loved When he told you you're not beautiful You'll never be enough Fear is a liar He will take your breath Stop you
And while it's true, fear can be a liar. For many, fear can be crippling. I mean, devastatingly crippling. They can't, they can't deal with life. They can't deal with anything. They live in fear. One thing, and I don't want to talk too much about the one topic we often discuss on the program, but I will, I will to a small point. I see more fear in people's eyes today than I ever have in my entire life. You know it. You've seen it. And in some places, it's far worse than others. There's a few things that have stood out to me. In places where, let's say, Christianity has been really minimized... There are certain cities and states where, you know, basically people don't go to church. They're non-believers. They use foul mouth. They curse all the time. They speed down highways. They live for themselves, but they're the ones that live in the most fear of a virus or anything for that matter, because this is all they've got. This, this is all they have in this life in this world is the life that they have. And so a realistic threat, something to worry about, something to have on the, on the forefront, something being yelled at you around the clock on television, on the radio, every time you go on, on the internet or social media, you're bombarded by all these things you're supposed to fear. Now let's go back in time. There was a time in the 1920s and 1930s. People had a tremendous amount of fear. Not like today, but there was a fear that had gripped the United States. And it was an economic fear. Here, this powerful country that could build anything, do anything. The stock market crashed. People are unemployed. There was the Dust Bowl. In other words, Farms being repossessed, people being thrown off their land, trying to find new opportunities. For many people, the Great Depression was an incredibly difficult time. And it was in, it was in that light that Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected president of the United States. And when he was inaugurated, these were the words, this is from his speech, This is what he had to say in 1933. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The period of the Great Depression in the United States and pretty much around the world was a very, very difficult time. My grandparents talked about their experiences during that time. Now, people that lived in, let's say, Kansas and other places in the Dust Bowl, they were losing everything. People that had invested their fortunes in the stock market saw all their money gone, and they were suddenly deeply in debt. People jumping out of windows in New York City when they realized everything they had was gone. And they couldn't face the embarrassment. They couldn't face the loss. They were in total, 
They were in total fear. And fear caused them to jump to their deaths in many cases. Lose it all. Turn to alcohol. Fear has been a a major problem across time. It was fear in Nazi Germany that allowed the Third Reich to build. After all, they had lost everything in World War I. And this man promises to restore the glory back to our nation. And then have you has this nation turn on various people in fear, to fear them, to condemn them, to, to defeat them. In this case, the Jewish people became the scapegoat. Fear is a great motivator. It's being used today. Now let's go back to the time of Jesus when he came to this earth. We, we sometimes forget how much fear there was in that part of the world at that time. I mentioned this over the weekend. Caesar Augustus had put out the decree that all the world should be taxed and everybody by demand of the state or else, had to return to the place or the place of their family ancestry to be registered, to be enumerated, to be counted. Sound familiar, like a vaccine passport? In other words, the the pattern has never changed in 2,000 years. We act like this is all something so super new. Governments have been trying to do what governments have been trying to do for for a millenn- for millennials and more to control people. The difference is today we just have more technology to make the job easier than they had, let's say, back in, oh, I don't know, mid-1930s, early 1940s, or even at the time that Jesus came to this earth. People feared a lot of things. Uh, imagine, imagine the night that Jesus was born, for example. Shepherds, they're just tending their flocks in the fields at night. And, and there's so much about that narrative that, that we miss. I think some of the most fearless people in the world at that time were, they weren't the soldiers, they were the shepherds that watched their flocks. Jesus, I'm just going to take a little side trip here, but you need to hear this. I think all of what I'm about to say may be a great encouragement, not just for this time of the year, but right across the board of all we've been through. There's a term. The Bible talks about the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You know, sheep are they're predominantly dumb animals, and there can be a real pain to deal with. So I have been told more than once. But these shepherds cared for their flocks, and let me just kind of share a few thoughts so we can start understanding how to get past fear, all kinds of fear. Put the virus fear aside; that's just one of many. A one-world government—that's been a fear that's been around for a long, long time. The Soviet Union attempted a one-world government as they tried to expand their empire. The Roman Empire, just think of it. Even Napoleon Bonaparte, everybody, every despot in history, Adolf Hitler, they all wanted to be ruler of the world, one-world government. 
So there's, as the psalmist once said, there is nothing new under the sun, but we act like every bit of this is so new. How do we deal with it? I'm, I'm so afraid, Bob. How do we get past this? The shepherds, like I say, probably some of the most fearless people on the face of the earth back in Bible times and really across many generations. You know, Jesus kind of refers himself as a gate. Ever wonder why he said that, a gate, you know, G-A-T-E, like a gate on a fence? Because, see, at night, the good shepherd would put his flock inside of the fenced-in area, and the shepherd would sit there at the entrance. He was the gate. He protected the sheep from a wolf or some other animal coming in and kept the sheep from getting out for their own protection at night. Jesus says, I'm the gate. And so he's protecting his children, you and I, now, imagine imagine when St. Paul, when he was still known as Saul, traveling down that highway, persecuting Chris, Christians, that light from heaven shines upon him. He's knocked off his horse. He's blinded. Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? And God reveals himself. He comes to know Jesus Christ you know, even the disciples, to a degree, they were still scared of Saul. They, they still had some fear. And it took one of the converts to say, look, I'm not going to fear. I'm going to trust God brought Saul into his home. We forget that story about Scripture. Even some of the disciples had fear. It is not uncommon that all of us have fear. It's how do we overcome this fear? Sure, we we hear a thunderstorm outside. You know, the, the human instinct is, you know, we, we, we go into protection mode. If we see a danger for our children, we go into this protection mode. And guess what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that kind of protection. But this fear that becomes crippling where you cannot function in life can allow you to surrender your freedom, surrender even your faith, surrender the things that are important to overcome fear. Wouldn't it be better to have the peace of God which passes all human understanding to keep our hearts and minds in him who has redeemed us, cares for us, loves us. God sent his only son to die for us. I've said this many a time on the program. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard me say this. In the Bible, 365 times, you will find these words, fear not. So take one for every day of the week, every day of the year. Learn how to fear not. As a little child, I can remember some of the hymns that little children learn how to sing. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee, trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. Trusting and obeying God is one of the hardest things we can possibly do because we think we may know better. And with the electronic media, the propaganda, and all that is out there for our eyes to behold and see, 
the influence upon us. We, we hear the term often called mass formation. Mass formation. I'll say it again. Mass formation. It is almost like a hypnotism from being bombarded continually with a message of fear. And you want to alleviate that fear so you become compliant and obedient to those that claim we tell you what to fear, but here's how you get over the fear. You let us tell you how to run your life. And we limit the things you do because we want to protect you. This is the world in which we live today. The world of Jesus' time. They feared the Romans. They feared for their own lives and their livelihoods. And they knew if they didn't obey the Roman rulers that they so desperately wanted to cast away, they could easily forfeit it all. So today on the program, as we are down to 10 days before Christmas, waiting and anticipating and remembering the first coming of Jesus Christ, we need to stop being fearful. You know, there are, there are people that are Christians that fear the second coming. Why do they fear the second coming? They think, well, I couldn't deal with all this. You want to know something? You're right. We can't. One thing, it's come to mind so many times. Well, how do those people ever go into that Colosseum in Rome and allow themselves to be ripped apart and killed by wild beasts? Because they were empowered by God's Holy Spirit. They were drawn close to him. Even the first martyr of the church, St. Stephen. By the way, my middle name is Stephen. As he is being stoned to death, persecuted for his faith, he looks up to heaven and he sees the glory to come. And his his eyes and his heart and his mind are filled with joy. He no longer has fear as he is ushered into the presence of his Lord. Do you trust him that much? We need to get past all this fear. And as I said, Jim Calhoun did a great job yesterday reminding us how to be overcomers of the fear that surrounds us today. Now, I've got a whole lot more to share with you about this topic of of fearing not. And I really want to get into it in just a few minutes. But if you believe in the ministry of Truth to Ponder, I'm going to just ask a couple of things. Number one, we're using this month of December, halfway through the month just about, well, pretty much, to get a handle on when you listen, the best frequencies, if you're listening on shortwave, station, time, frequency, days of the week, so I can kind of, if I need to make any adjustments to the schedule or look for opportunity, this is a great help. And you can email me directly. And by the way, as my promise is, you're not going to be put on an email list. I'm not going to be bombarding you with emails. I may reply to your email if I get a chance, but I'm not putting you on one of those endless email lists. So let me know, Bob at Truth, the number two ponder.com. Bob at Truth, the number two ponder.com. If you can help pay for this airtime, gifts are always appreciated. 
You can mail them to, by the way, you can also use the website, truth2ponder.com, and the mailing address is there as well. But if you can help us out financially and make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio, that's Ancient Word Radio, and you can mail that to Truth to Ponder, 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. That's 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248 in Crestview, Florida, 32536. That's Crestview, Florida, 32536. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Beerman. The Wolfman Believers, coming up. Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend in Messiah. This is Jonathan Kahn, the nice Jewish boy. Your Jewish connection bringing you the Jewish roots of your faith in Jesus. Now, get your pen out as fast as possible so you don't miss out on getting a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, remember the Wolfman, that movies I used to watch on Saturday morning on television? The, the guy and his face would start getting hairy and, and fangs and his ears would get long and all these things. His nose would become like an animal. Well, some of you, you're a saint in church, but as you drive home, you begin undergoing this strange transformation. You know, when you're out of the, the church parking lot, it's the first hair starts coming. By the next traffic light, your face is covered. And by the time you're reaching home, you're unrecognizable to the people from the church, except your family recognizes you. They hear the growling. They hear the snarling and the banging on the door and the, the scratching. on, and, and they say, okay, the wolf man's home. Well, listen. Too many believers live double lives. There's one in the congregation and the other at home. If you are a person of integrity, you have to be the same in the house of the Lord as in your home. It's no good, the Bible says, to be different. God sees everywhere in secret. You have to be a person of integrity, especially with your family, the people who see you all the time. Be the same in in the service, in your home and work. That's where the victory is. Take it home with you. Try a new thing. Be just as spiritual at home as you are in the service. Take the love from the service. Bring it home. Take your joy. Bring it home. And you'll be a light to your home, which is what God called you to be and not a monster. Now, want more? Ask for the untouchables. Now, what if you could receive daily vitamins guaranteed to strengthen your spiritual walk with God? A six-month supply for free. Well, you can. Sapphire's daily spiritual vitamins for victorious walk with God. Updates on Israel, prophecy, the incredible mystery of the temple doors. All free gift for you. How do you get it? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed, but call now. That's 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now, you can actually spread salvation around the world for very little through shortwave radio from the Arctic Circle to Israel. It's amazing. It's like sending a billion tracks around the world. How? Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. You'll have a great part in the end time harvest. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Now, you can write me direct. Here's how. It's right to the nice Jewish boy box 1111 lodi lodi new jersey 07644 that's box 1111 lodi lodi new jersey 07644 well next time this is jonathan khan saying shalom alechem don't be a monster peace be to you my friend in messiah yeshua tenu our salvation
This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our Wednesday edition of Truth to Ponder. I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Once again, a big thank you for Jim Calhoun helping me out yesterday on the program. And I'm glad he started this whole series that we're going to continue on about about fearing not. We we talk about Christmas time, and we're getting so close. Ten days away. Where did this year go? And I hope that this year for you and your family will be a Merry Christmas, remembering His first coming and being victorious in realizing we are in the advent of His glorious coming. But I mentioned before the break, talking about those shepherds, they're pretty well fearless people. Remember, they they face the wolves, they face the thieves, they face all kinds of elements. They're out there at night. They get very little sleep as they tend to their flock. And I use that term that a shepherd sits in the entryway to the the safe, fenced-in area for the sheep. He is the gate. And he would give his life for his sheep. Like Jesus does for us how fast we forget. These are fe- fearful guys. I mean, they, they've dealt with wild beasts. They, they're armed. They're, they're, they're ready. And yet that night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the angels came to those shepherds watching their flock by night. You know, these are not the creme de la creme. The, the, this is not the elite, the kings, the princes of the day. These are the hard workers, the fighters, the ones that do their job for the betterment of their community. And those are the ones that the the angels of God came to declare the good news that this night is born for you in Bethlehem, the Messiah. And of course, the Bible said they were sore afraid, if you remember that verse, How many remember watching the Peanut special as Linus reads that account? And they were sore afraid. In other words, they were very afraid, these fearless shepherds. But they're the ones that were given first the good news. And they're the ones that came to see for themselves because they were able to overcome their fear when they understood and their eyes were open to the good news. Too many Christians today, we like singing the music, we like the entertainment in a lot of our churches. We come, we sway to the music, we get a little encouraging uh, pep talk message with a little side of Jesus in too many places. And we don't have what it takes to be overcomers, to get over our fear, to make use of all that God has given us to become a fearless people. So two years ago, we're just beginning to hear about this pandemic. And by the time we got into January and February, the fear is being hyped up. I was called out of retirement. But before I left, I had an opportunity to preach a message to a congregation in Florida all about fear not. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of hearing your word, studying your word. May you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, but most important, our hearts to receive that which you have for us. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
I'm glad to see you here today. Has anybody by chance watched the news at all? Or are we kind of out of it and we just ignore it? little of both. I'm seeing something in my lifetime that I don't think has been around since the Second World War. This fear in the hearts of people. There are two words that Jesus says over and over and over again to his own disciples who follow him, who should know better than most. What are those two words? Fear not. Fear not. Whether you're out on the water, fear not. Whatever this world brings to us, fear not. This is the lesson of Scripture, to fear not. Now, obviously in our human nature, that's easier said than done. I have watched for several weeks, as all of you have, as this crisis, I guess, that is sweeping the land, has driven people to fear everything. People are fearing the Lord's body and blood. My God, I might get something. If Jesus is truly present, I have a hard time believing that. I was talking to a good friend of mine. He has been an emergency manager for a long, long time. I worked for him for about five years. He called me up last night. And we chatted about what's going on in this world today and how their community up in North Carolina, if anybody knows where Asheville and Buncombe County is, he started telling me all the things that they're doing. He said, basically it's what you and I did back with the N1H1 all over again. He said, how would you like to make some extra money? I said, how's that? Um, I kind of need you up here. Would you want to come up to North Carolina in about a week or two and spend a month up here to run the emergency operations center? I said, yeah, why not? For that kind of money, why not? We are preparing for what we, in our minds, for the maximum of maximums. That's a term that Fred Fugate, the former head of FEMA once said, we prepare for the maximum of maximums. We hope that they never occur. I never thought in my 65 years that I would see the price of two rolls of Charmin being worth more than crack cocaine on the street. But we've come to this point of fear. We've lost rationality. And many live in fear. Of course, I'm going to take precautions. We should all take precautions every flu season, though many don't. Which is why many get the flu to begin with. We are probably seeing a lot of young teenagers wash their hands for the very first time on a regular basis. Because they don't want to come down with this. 
My heart shares this message with you today. Listen, trust, and fear not. You know, even the disciples after Jesus' ascension that ministered all over the known world, they gave their life for the cause of Christ, yet they feared not. Martin Luther, in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress, alludes to the fact it's not what somebody can do to your body, it's what the enemy can do to steal your soul that you must remember. Fear not in this transient life. Today we heard a reading from the book of Psalms, one of my favorites, and those that remember the old liturgy of morning prayer, or in some churches, matins. How often did we sing this? Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You, you hear all these words, and normally we stop the music halfway into verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the sheep of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And I think a lot of people think that's the entire summation of the 95th Psalm. But it didn't end there. and We didn't end it there today. The other half of verse 7. Today, if ye hear his voice, harden not your heart. As in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. The psalmist is referring to what we saw in our Old Testament lesson. We have no water. We're thirsty. We want something to drink. The children of Israel leaving Egypt has always been a fascinating study for me. For quite a long time the children of Israel the nation of Israel was held in captivity as slaves in the country of Egypt and they mourned and they cried to be released from this bondage get us out of Egypt we are tired of the slave labor we are tired of being whipped we are tired of being oppressed we are tired of living in fear. And God sends them a Moses to lead them out of captivity, to lead them out of bondage. And we see the hand of God in miracle after miracle preparing them to be released from the bondage of Egypt. And eventually, after the Passover, Pharaoh relents, and off they go, though they were pursued. God parted the water for them to escape, and then drowned the horsemen in the sea. Remember that psalm, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. 
Yet the children of Israel, after seeing all that God could do, what did they do for the next 40 straight years? They complained, they murmured, they failed to trust. You know why they had to be in the wilderness for 40 years? So every one of the ones that left Egypt would be dead and only their descendants would arrive. God had to purge the unbelief out of his own people in the desert. You know how many miles it is from where they were in Egypt to the promised land? That's the longest 35-mile journey ever known to mankind being wandered around the desert. 40 years. They made it roughly 40 miles. It wasn't a long trip. Remember, Mary and Joseph made the trip from Jerusalem in a, in a couple of days with a donkey. They were blinded in the wilderness and didn't know where they were for 40 years. Even after everything that God had done, Moses strikes the rock. There's water. We have no food. There's manna. Boy, the onions back in Egypt sound good. Shut up. There are two words that God said to his people in those 40 years over and over and over again. Those are don't murmur. Don't complain and talk to me under your breath. I am the Lord your God who has delivered you out of the Pharaoh's hand of Egypt after how many years of bondage? They didn't even remember a time in their history that they were free. It had been so long. Yet God performs miracles and they still complained. They still looked unto their own personal needs and their own personal desires and their own personal fears. That's why they wanted to go back to Egypt. You have brought us out into this desert. We have nothing. We have no food. We have no water. We have no, no, we, we. Let's go back to Egypt. We had food there. So we had to work a little. Notice how the mind forgets. Not long ago I did a radio show and I'm talking about how our minds deceive us, how we think how great things were back in 1973 or 1971. And you think of the music, the people, oh, it was just great. And then if you really search your memory banks, you suddenly remember all the things that went wrong, all the difficulties you faced, friendships that fell apart. We conveniently forget the bad and remember the good. The good old days were not necessarily all that good. They were like any other day, filled with good, bad, indifferent. In these days, weeks, and months ahead, we will see this crisis pass. We're not all going to die. 
uh, even if we did, if we trust Jesus as our Savior, peace be unto us. For he is with us. Jesus told his disciples as he left this earth, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of this age, this world, this time, this understanding that we live in. For see, God is not confined. This is a discussion I've had with a number of people, my wife included. We have to recognize something about the sovereignty of God. He's not trapped in the in the dynamics we understand and the dimensions in which we live. Today, yesterday, and tomorrow are all in his hand. For he dwells in all of it. He transcends our time and our space. And we have a hard time in our human mind understanding what that means. One of the things that our our brethren in some churches miss when it comes to communion And it took me a while to wrap my head around it when I was studying for the diaconate. Even though I had always talked about the real presence in the communion service, it finally dawned on me when I finally understood the word used in Scripture for do this in remembrance of me, anamatesis, which means bringing the things of the past into the present as in real time. That's kind of a hard concept. We say it in our prayer every Sunday here, and those not yet here. We're not talking about those that should be here that live in Port St. Lucie or Stewart. We're talking about those not even born yet that'll be a part of Christ's triumphant church. Those not even here yet. We're praying for those that haven't even been born yet. And in our communion, we are drawn into this momentary dynamic that God lives in, that transcends all time and all space. We commune with all the believers from the beginning until the end of this age. And we don't realize it. That psalm, that psalm, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Forty years ago, I was grieved with this generation, and I said, it is a people that do err in their hearts. They err in their heart. You know, poor Israel, given for our example, they had this bad habit of being blessed so much by God than taking him thoroughly for granted, forgetting all about all the things he has done. And they cease to worship and give him praise and honor and glory that he is due. And God, in his mercy and in his sovereignty, obliges them. Fine. You do it your way. I'm going to go over here for a season. And with that hand of protection gone, they keep getting enslaved. You want to be in bondage to your sin? Let me show you what bondage really feels like. These days and weeks ahead, 
for many will be a challenge. Many are afraid. I get it. I understand it. And I get to help alleviate fears if I get called and head up to North Carolina for a season to help be a public information officer to get information out and hopefully stop the panic a little bit. They say they want to flatten this curve. I get it. In other words, instead of having it spike and a lot of people having it all at once, they want to flatten that curve where less will be exposed. And I think that all the dramatic measures we're taking, we haven't seen these kind of measures since 1918 being taken with a medical problem. It's been a long time. And we'll get through it like we do every year. I will not live in fear. That's just me. I believe what God's Word says. That's why I'm here. I asked the question yesterday, are we meeting or not? Not that I wanted to not. I just wanted to know if anybody else was going to be here or not. I'm happy to be here. One of my favorite hymns, which is really for the transfiguration, "'Tis good, Lord, to be here. Thy glory fills this place." We are here in His presence and in His glory because this is the real hospital we need for ourselves and our lives and our spirit to be in this place. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we could gather here in your word, in this place. Lord, I understand the fear that many have in their hearts. It's not easy, especially when you're being bombarded day in and day out. I understand. Lord, I pray that the comfort of your Holy Spirit abide in each and every one of us. Let us be practical. Let us be, as you teach us, to be reasoned. But most important, to be trusting. Help us to trust and obey what you call us to faithfully do each and every week. For this I ask, in Jesus' name, amen. Christ alone, my hope is found. And he is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. My all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand
of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny of all the fear that many people have today, it is really an exciting time to be alive, especially if you're Christian. I believe we're coming closer and closer to his, his second and glorious coming. And are we going to be found working in his vineyard, doing what he's asked us to do? Or are we going to choose to stay home and live in fear on, on everything? It made sense early on, let's be honest, I'm, I'm fair enough on this, that when we didn't know and we're trying to get a handle on what's going on, to, to step back and pause and look, you don't go blindly into something, then again, you don't freeze in fear forever. You can't do that. Many a church two years ago shut their doors. I know a lot of churches and I have had good friends They were opening up as soon as they could, even when they were not supposed to be opening up. John MacArthur, Grace Community Church in California, was facing lots of fines and problems because they said, look, we're opening up. And the government was trying to shut them down. One thing, if you didn't notice it during the pandemic, churches were routinely, uh, shall we say, made special cases. They were considered the super spreaders that must be shut down, minimized. Because the the people in government, too many of them, are non-believers. They're reprobates. They hate the church. They hate the cause of Christ. Lori Lightfoot in Chicago is a classic example of a hater and despiser of the church. 
when she heard about a church that might be meeting. She had all the cars towed away and there was not even anybody to do with the church. California, same thing. You know, it was amazing. The church in California stayed open. Nobody died of coronavirus in that church because of, of meeting thousands of people every Sunday. We need to become bold in our faith, and we'll get into that this week again on how to be bold in our faith and become overcomers and no longer fear because Jesus, the Messiah, is with us. Do you believe in the ministry of Truth to Ponder? Would you consider helping pay for the airtime? I'll have more news to, to share maybe tomorrow or on Friday, most likely. Make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio. Our mailing address is Truth to Ponder, 5753, Highway 85 North, number 3248. 5753, Highway 85 North, number 3248, Crestview, Florida. Crestview, Florida, 32536. Crestview, Florida, 32536. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world. At Kroger, we believe fresh means holding our produce to a higher standard. That's why we do up to a 27-point inspection on our produce. Like for citrus, we check for things like scarring and sunburn. Yep, oranges can sunburn. And we'll make sure you never see it. In fact, we only allow the best oranges, lemons, and grapefruits to reach our shelves. Because when it comes to fresh for everyone, we believe the juice is worth the squeeze. Kroger, fresh for everyone.